Um, if you could now join me in your Bibles or up on the screen or on your bulletins, we're in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. Romans chapter 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we thank you for this word, and we thank you that your power and your truth and your love is made manifest in the beauty around us and in creation. I pray this morning that we would be focused on you and not on ourselves and not on created things, but on you as our creator. Be with Brian as he speaks. Please encourage him, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present to give him words and give us hearts to listen. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Did it? Did it? No, there I am. Well, good morning. Um, and I got an echo that's going to really distract me. Are you guys hearing it too? Okay. Um, hey, I asked Brian Kelly this morning, I said, hey, would you rather uh, play for the Yankees or the St. Louis Cardinals? And uh, we both kind of agreed, as with June, St. Louis Cardinals. And, uh, this mo- and here's why. The, uh, just this morning, a couple little things, you know, the, the announcements, that didn't work. And here's my disclaimer for my lesson, crazy week. We are, as a, as a group, we're not about every little thing coming out perfect up front here. We don't boo when things go bad. But as a team, we work as hard as we can to do the best we can. But unlike a, a New York Yankee fan, we don't go, well, oh, the video didn't work today, and those guys are knuckleheads. Uh, I, I just love this community because we're, we're so gracious to one another, and I'm thankful for that. Um, as would a St. Louis Cardinal fan. They love their guys no matter what. So let me open in prayer and uh, lead us in the lesson. So God, I thank you so much for what you have grown here over the years as the Malibu Gathering. And I pray that today, uh, as I work through um, what's been on my heart this week, um, would come out clear. God, it would cause all of us just to take a step deeper into our walk with you. Um, Bless these words. Thank you for your word. We thank you that we can trust it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the lack of, I couldn't come up with a, a, a good title, but um, for what I want to try to communicate today, and what I, what I don't want to do is um, in any way that say deep feelings are not a good thing. They are a good thing. God made us that way. You know, I think of, of David dancing in the streets of Jerusalem as they're bringing in the ark. Or even Jesus in Gethsemane, um, crying uh, and, and sweating tears like blood. Is, our range of emotions is massive. Um, the point, I hope, by the time I'm done here this morning, isn't to so much limit feelings, but make sure that feelings are not the foundation of choices that we make. And more importantly, in the context of this lesson, is not the foundation of our faith. Because our feelings are going to rise and fall and rise and fall, and we are made to experience those. 
but it cannot be the thermometer of our trust in God or our sensing of God's presence in our lives, or more important than sensing, seeing God's presence in our life. And so that's the point I want to make this morning. Um, back in the day when um, we had a young lady named Cassidy Watton, is the name from our past, living at our house, and Joel and Krista, Joel who was just up here, if you don't know Joel and his wife Krista, were still Pepperdine students, and there were a lot of kids hanging out at our house in those days, and one of the, one of the little buzzwords that we sort of made fun of would be something like, here would be an example uh, interaction. Um, hey, Krista, when's your, when's your psychology final? I feel like it's next Thursday. And I said, you feel like it is. Do you know if it is? Because you better. And so we would start using this word, feel, and we would super exaggerate it because we found that it was like a little buzzword. Well, yeah, I, I, I feel like the Rams won yesterday. Well, did they or didn't they? There's a score. And it doesn't matter what you feel, they either scored more points than the other team or they didn't. And so we, we kind of mocked that. And what's amazing, I don't know how many years ago that was, it's gone by crazy fast. It's like seven, eight years ago, I'm thinking, when Cassie was here and those guys were that age. And you know, and we still do that when we talk and just kind of laugh at ourselves. But what I think, I hope, we have all seen in our society in so many different ways. And I'm not going to get into politics or news or those kinds of things as, as a specific, because that's not my point so much. But we do see this everywhere where people more and more in our world base, um, base their decisions, their opinions, um, even their beliefs simply on how they feel, not from an objective truth one way or another. Um, and really, it, again, in the context of, uh, of, of me and us being here at church, uh, I want to really tr kind of drive this in, in, a, in a more spiritual direction more than anything else. Um, if, if we find ourselves into a place, like I already mentioned, uh, where we're letting our feelings drive our, um, our emotions, driving our trust in God and our, and our faith, we, we're really walking on some really, really thin ice. So what I want to do today is um, just present to you three, three points, and they're on the bulletin. Um, I, want to, I want to just, if nothing else, give you confidence that God does reveal himself in an objective way. And our knowledge of him does not depend on our emotions. Our, our emotions may be a great result of that objective truth, and that's awesome. We all love that, but that can't be the source of it. So the three ways that God reveals himself, at least and when I talk about a crazy week, so I, this doesn't have the depth that I would hope for, because each one of these could be a series on themselves. Um, as you guys all know, uh, Hurricane Michael came storming through the panhandle this last week and we own several properties there and my son lives there and so up until Tuesday we we're still wondering is this thing going to turn left and going to turn right and and it puts us in a anybody involved there in a straight this is the second year in a row this sort of thing has happened um it's a weird thing to pray for do you pray for the protection of your own property and neighborhood because if you do you're somewhat cursing another and so what I've learned is to is is just you know you just pray for God's mercy over the whole area and so anyway, with that on top, and then I uh, got to be part of a great, uh, awesome wedding yesterday. One of our uh, regulars here, Carter Baldwin, um, got married, and uh, his mom and dad aren't here this morning. I think they're having breakfast together. Um, so I would love to hit all these things in more depth. So I would like to present to you an outline and then encourage you, because that's where it really comes down to. It's not what I think. is encourage you to look deeper and deeper into each one of these points and do a little research on your own if you're, if you're unsure of these things 
or like many of us going through a time of like, I don't feel God's presence. Well, look, look at some of these things and, and kind of even tell yourself, even though I don't feel it, I know it's there. I know he's here. Um, so as we go through this outline, again, it's kind of a skeleton outline. Um, but uh, we're going to go for it anyway. So first thing is through nature. And the, the scripture we read uh, just moments ago, um, from Romans uh, 19 through 23, uh, even just says that. I'm going to repeat little bits of it um, just to get myself kind of a little kickstart here. Um, it says, and I read, I, I'm a sixth grade science teacher, and so I know because from our home group, someone was studying biology. I forget who it was. Is it, you can raise your hand if you're here. The bio, somebody was studying biology. I forget. But uh, um, anyway, I studied biology up at UCSB. And, but this was in 1981, 2, and 3, so it was a long time ago. And being a sixth grade science teacher now, um, my general understanding has broadened. My deeper understanding has gone away because I'm dealing with 11 and 12 year olds versus high school or college students. So, um, but maybe that's better for the general population. Um, so, I read this verse to my kids every year at the beginning of the year. I say, here's the point of this school year. It's a life science class for little sixth graders. And I remind them of this, and actually start at 120. Um, it says, for his, meaning God's, invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And seeing God's creation, the things he have made, that he has made, and as a life science teacher, that is my job to teach these children what God has made. In the light of, not so much that here's, here's just how something works, but look at how God made this thing work. So, just these last couple weeks, we've been studying photosynthesis and cellular respiration. So photosynthesis, to a sixth grader, when he, first come, he or she first comes in, is, oh yeah, that's where plants make oxygen. That's great. But, do you know that plants also make food? Which one would you choose? If you could choose one of those, you could only have one, which one would you want? And it's kind of funny, you know, again, and then, Eventually, someone goes, I need both. So exactly, you need this one right now, but you need both at some point. And uh, so anyway, and I said, I'm, I'm going to show you guys some stuff. And again, as sixth graders, don't try not to overdo this. But breaking, I'm just curious, are there any biologists in here who can track along with this? Okay. All right, just one, two. All right. So uh, we take photosynthesis. So it's just kind of, kind of maybe fun for everybody to know, if you didn't know this. And again, this is the sixth grade version. Uh, broken into two particular aspects. It's called the light reactions and the dark reactions. So there's a little more to it than most of any, any little sixth grader would know. And the light reactions, that's where water goes in, oxygen comes out, and maybe you can tell by the name, that's where sunlight is used, and the energy from sunlight is used to split water. Inside, and all I do for them is I draw a box. I call it the light reactions, water going in, oxygen out, sunlight in. The product of that goes over to the, maybe you can guess, light reactions, dark reactions, uh, here's the dark reactions, and here's what's funny about that word, is it would seem to insinuate that it only happens in the dark. It just doesn't require light. So it's, called the dark, it's also called the Calvin cycle. But um, anyway, I show them this picture, and they all take a step back, and I said, don't worry, you don't have to really know that part, high school, maybe even in college. But it's this big cycle with all these little steps along the way, and all these names of these different little electrons, it's called electron... Uh, it's not the electron trans, uh, a metabolic pathway. And all they need to know though, the little box, stuff comes in from here, out comes sugar and carbon dioxide. 
sorry. Uh, actually, just sugar, okay? Oh, I forgot about the CO2 going in. That's where the CO2 comes in. So, point is this, though. Um, the sugar and the oxygen go to a, that all happens in a little part of the cell, you can call out, called the chloroplast. Okay, all that, the sugar, there's a point to this. this I'm not, I'm just rambling, seriously. Uh, sugar and oxygen go to another little part of our cells or plant cells as well, because we don't have a chloroplast, that's why we have to eat and breathe. But it goes to another little organelle, sounds like you're right on this, My, mitochondria, okay? So, um, and that's where the oxygen and the sugar come in, and it runs it through, I tell them three things, something, step one, that's all you gotta know, called step one. It has a name, it's called glycolysis. Step two, just call it that for now, it has a name too, it's easy enough to remember, it's called the Krebs cycle with a K. Products from that go to what we just call as sixth graders, ETC, electron transport chain. The point is I'm, I'm getting to these kids and you guys at this point to realize that just us doing this runs on this fuel called ATP and it requires all of that. That is a very, very miniature version of what really happens because inside each of these boxes is a crazy number of chain reactions that happen. So as a lab, what we do is I, get, I got hundreds and hundreds, I don't even know, it's a big five-gallon bucket, five-gallon bucket, the big buckets, um, completely full of dominoes. And we set up the, I said, okay, here's your job. Set up all these dominoes in the most intricate pattern you can possibly, and we watch a few cool YouTube videos where people do crazy things that take, they say it took 15,000 dominoes in 24 hours and all this kind of stuff, and people do crazy stuff. So we have, we have hundreds of dominoes in about half an hour. I said, make the, make the craziest setup you can, and then when you're ready, you call me over, and I'm gonna check it out. You get one chance, because in life, that's all you get. If this stuff that I just described to you doesn't happen, if those dominoes don't fall, and they get this. I go, you know what happens? They go, yeah, you're dead. So exactly. And you don't get to start over and try again. You don't get to try again. So if in the first, as like I said, this could be a whole big science lesson because then we can start bringing in the stuff like evolution. You, you, don't, you don't get that second try because you're, you're dead. Okay. So we do this whole thing. And what I'm trying to teach you, or remind you more likely, um, what I'm trying to teach little children is God's creation is crazy intricate and it takes one little thing not to happen right and his scripture the word says that God is revealing himself to us and I really feel like when I was uh, oh, there, there's me saying that uh, but this is a feeling because it was based on well no it's not not that funny this is part of our language uh, I know when I was studying this uh, up at UCSB in the 80s and I was a Christian and I was being taught things. There's a, there's a great old experiment called the Stanley Miller experiment. I don't know if it's still in lessons or not. But these guys were all excited because in a laboratory, they were able to create amino acids. Say, see, this, this can happen. And I never thought for a moment, because I wasn't a clear enough thinker, going, well, wait, you, you made that happen. You did it in a laboratory. It took intelligence to put that thing together and make it happen. So is that going to happen in nature all by itself? and uh, just, just never really questioning or thinking through things. So I was fascinated with the idea of evolution and life, and never putting the two together. It's like, wait, with good, clear thinking, I can actually see God's hand in this, and I actually started to lose appreciation for the complexity of all of this. Because if I appreciate how complex and how crazy life, and that's just a, a small slice of what life is, uh, 
understanding God's hand in, in creating these things. So um, that's the first thing, is God reveals himself in nature. There's a story I'm going to share twice Here's the first, before this is over. Um, I remember in a time in my life, um, my boys would have been like 10 and 8, so we're talking almost, almost, almost 20 years ago, uh, went through a re and I've mentioned this several times, and, and, you know, and I knew during this really, really dark time in my life, God was going to bring this around and make it work for somebody else. So if that happens for you now, that's awesome. But I went through such a dark time that it was like, in a moment, God's presence, just, just sensing, feeling, feeling good, which, I, which to me, was, that's God's presence, was just, and I still can remember the moment, it was just gone. I was as empty as could be. It was like, like in a vacuum. And fortunately, with my wife and several friends, managed to walk through this. But one of the things I learned was I cannot base this, this 20, you know, me at age 40, this 25, almost 30-year walk with God is no longer relevant because I don't feel it anymore. And that's where I learned to, and it's not fun. I not, not, don't, don't want to advertise that at all. It's not fun at all if anybody's have gone through these times. But... Um, not basing my faith and trust in God on what I felt like on any given day. He gave me little like drops of water every now and then. And one of them was, meaning refreshment, um, one of them was we were down in Baja, and I was in this dark, empty place and trudging through life, trying to find some joy. And I was looking up at stars, and this did not come over me like this wonderful feeling, but I got this confirmation. And when I mentioned the Holy Spirit as the third part of this, um, outline. This is where this comes in. But I looked at the stars and I understood, I, I looked at it, and this is a gigantic clock. There's so much what looks like disorder to all of this. There's so much order in all of that because I can come out here tomorrow. I can come out here next year. I, I can, I, if I'm an astronomer, which I am not, I could tell you where these things are going to be a year, a 10 years from now. It's a clock and I just saw I saw God's hand in creation at that point, and I just, it was just a, an affirmation like, hey, no matter what you feel like, I am in control. So God reveals himself through nature. So that's the first point. The second point, God reveals himself more specifically through scripture. So what I've got here, something actually, and this kind of got me through that little empty time too. <laughs> Not little. Uh, again, that's my kinds of words. Um, not to minimize anybody who's in that place or where I was. Um, but I learned something. I used to work, there, there's, a, there's an organization called Stand to Reason. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. A guy named Greg Kokel. So I used to work, when I was teaching at Calvary Christian School, I was six, where a lot of um, our people here teach. Uh, I was a sixth grade teacher, fifth, sixth, and my partner was this girl named uh, Melinda Penner. So there's Mr. Renner and Miss Penner. Miss Penner was Greg Kokel's, uh, basically, he would speak and she would, and so any books or uh, things he would write, I don't know what you call that, like her, his, yeah, do dictation, and then on his radio show, she was known as the Terminator. If you called in, um, she would decide if you actually got to talk to him on the phone on his Saturday and Sunday shows. So anyway, she's a super intelligent young lady and um, taught me something really simple because she was teaching it to, to, uh, to the kids as she taught Bible. And um, it's just using your hand, so I'll go through this in a second. But um, first thing, if you think of P for pinky, this is 
Christians use scripture as our objective truth. Okay? We, we cannot, we don't base our faith in Jesus Christ because of a feeling I got. Say, so how do I even know who Jesus is, what his teachings are, the history of it comes from scripture, it comes from the Bible. So how do I know this Bible is an accurate piece of literature? So one way, using your P E, your P for pinky, is looking at biblical prophecy. It's like, okay, that's a that's a pointer towards if this book is for real or not. So again, with 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 not being an expert on prophecy, and I looked up some things kind of quick this week, we've got over two thousand fulfilled prophecies. Um, not all of them about Jesus. I've got a few. Um, uh, some of the more amazing ones come from the book of Daniel, um, where he has uh, one of them that's kind of fascinating, kind of intricate. It's called the seventy weeks, um, the seventy weeks prophecies, and to the date when is uh, the Israelites are going to be taken into camp captivity, to the date when the temple will be rebuilt, okay, and, and so on. And then there's tons of ones about Jesus. About I'm just going to rattle off a few. I'm not going to read the whole things. But again, this is an outline. I could, I could, see, I could see anything I want up here. Um, look up these things yourself. Educate yourself. Be ready. Be ready for a storm. Be ready for a storm. So that these kinds of things is you can trust in God's word. Um, it, it, uh, it, the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. There's just a list of 30 things here. Um, he would be spat upon and beaten. These are things that were written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Sorry, hundreds and hundreds of years before the crucifixion or Jesus' life, life um, in Psalms, in Isaiah, in Daniel, in Micah, a book called Zechariah. He'd enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, he'd be betrayed, really specific things. He'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver written in the book of Zechariah, hundreds of years before these things ever took place and then fulfilled at some point in Scripture. So, pinky for prophecy. If you think of your ring finger, uh, so if I'm using my left hand, um, using my wedding ring as a reminder, if you've got one, if you don't, just use that as a reminder. Uh, the unity of this book is incredible. We've got 40 authors over a time span of about 1,500 years that put this book together, not intentionally, hey, let me get your copy of, okay. It comes together as a unified book, a unified theme, and unified values. Over a stretch of 1,500 years, 40 different authors putting this thing together. So we've got prophecy, we've got the unity of the book. Um, you're, oh, I, I'm a little out of order in my notes. I have to do index. Uh, if you think of your, I'm not going to show you, but your big finger, okay, this one. <laughs> uh, this as a book. So here, here's a historical in, index into history. Is a his, index finger. I'll get to that in a second. So we have a book that we are based on a, a couple of things that I'm outlining, based on prophecies fulfilled. Okay, that's incredible. Um, we've got this unified book written by 40 authors over 1,500 years, and it addresses the big issues of life. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Why is there evil in the world? What, what is going on in this world? And here's this book that can be looked on as, and I'll get the index in history, that's your index finger, as historically accurate, prophetically true, unified, that's going to address the biggest issues in life. It's incredible. So, okay, so backwards one in my notes. Your index finger, it's an index into history. Um, I'm going to read a little paragraph here from 
Greg Kogel, way smarter than I am, so I'll read his stuff. Um, So as a historical document, um, let me read this first and I'll rattle off a couple of numbers. It said, it could be said that the Bible is a book of history, and it is. The Bible describes places, peoples, and events in, a var in various degrees of detail. It's essentially in a historical account of the people of God through thousands of years, throughout thousands of years. If you open to almost any page in the Bible, you'll find the name of a place and or a person. Much of this can be verified from archaeology. Though archaeology cannot prove that the Bible is the inspired word of God, it has the ability to prove whether or not some of the events and locations described therein are true or false. So far, however, there isn't a single archaeological discovery that disproves the Bible in any way. So I, I would be concerned if I've got a book that mentions hundreds, if not thousands, of peoples and places, and many, many, many of them, it's like, no, there was never a land called that or a king named that. So it's an it's a, it's a index into history. And um, again, I'm not, I'm not uh, a, a historian, but um, I'm going to read a couple of things off this little chart here. So the, an important thing to a historian is when you, when you look back at the accuracy of a document is um, how much time between the original document, when that was written, and the next copy and then the next copy, and the next copy, and so on. So um, it's a long list. There's a write, writings from Plato. And the amount of time of which, and there are seven copies, the amount of time from the original to the first set of copies is seven years. Sorry, there's, sorry. The approximate time, there are seven copies, was 1,200 years from the original to copies. The accuracy of the copies, essentially zero, because if you look, you got seven copies, they were written 1,200 1200 years from the original, so the only way to pass on that story is orally, and um, if we do that in this room, you know, do the little kid game where you say, say a phrase and then pass it around there, it's all distorted by the time it gets to the end. It has to be really passed on through the ages um, uh, written. So anyway, that's Plato's works. Uh, Aristophanes. There's 10 copies, and those have a time span between the original and those copies of about 1,200 years. The Homer, you guys remember reading that? There's 643 copies. It was about 500 years before, between the original and the copies, and it's 95% accurate. Okay? The time span is closing as well as the number of copies. And in the end here, for Scripture, for the New Testament at least, the, uh, the time span between the original and the copies that we have right now is less than 100 years, and there are 5,600 copies of it, and it's 99.5% accurate. So the accuracy there of an ancient document is incredible. So, prophecy, this is what, let's go back to why we've been doing this. I'm a sixth grade teacher. <laughs> Got to do this all the time. Um, why can we put our trust in something as objective as the Bible? Because that's our pointer to who God is and who Jesus is. Fulfilled prophecy, the ring finger, unity of the book, addresses the big issues of life, and it's an index into history. Okay? And then the last of the fingers, uh, not only does it address the big issues of life, 
if we obey and adhere to the standards and the, the guidelines of what the Bible teaches us, it does this with your life. We, it, 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 it provides for us a better life. It's not always great. It comes with its share of trouble, but it's thumbs up. Thumbs up for life. And then the last thing, if I take all those fingers and I put them together, it stood the test, the fight of time. And it stood for all these years. And, uh, and it's a solid, solid foundation for us. And then the third and last, actually, and I think uh, uh, you got a couple of scriptures for this, is the Holy Spirit. And so this is, to me, was curious as I'm thinking through this earlier during the week, and I'm like, oh, the Holy Spirit, isn't that where we get our feelings from? How's that going to fit into this? And yeah, we do get feelings. We get feelings from all these things. But that feeling, that, that, or the tears, that's not what those are. Those are benefits. Those are little extras that come along. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, it's nice. Sounds great. Um, <laughs> Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to, let me, I thought it was me. I think it will. Is it coming up there? I'll, I'll just read it. Uh, here's what Jesus says in John 14, 25 and 26. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. <laughs> See, thumbs up. Um, and then alongside, I'm actually do both these verses and kind of address them together. And then in John 16, as he continues to talk about the Holy Spirit, I still have many things to say to you. He's getting ready to leave his disciples, but I cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me, for he will take of, take of what is mine and declare it to you. So one of the things, the job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us these truths. So back to my night on the beach in Baja, I'm looking at God's truth in those stars. He created those stars. He's revealing himself. I could have been looking at it the night before and not just seen stars and just feel just as desperate as I was. But on that night, I had a revelation. I don't, I don't think I got goosebumps from it or anything, but I got a revelation. I did get comfort. God is there, and he was showing me. The Holy Spirit gave me revelation. When we were singing um, um, the older song, um, Amazing Grace, uh, I was blind and now I see. Well, what made me see? Was it my intelligence? I mean, I've read this book many times, and I was blind, but now... I see, I get it. Who does that for us? That's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does these things. He reveals things for us. He opens our eyes to things that we didn't see before. And he also gives gifts, though. And so when we see the Holy Spirit do incredible things through us, through us, we're not doing it. We see healings. We see, we see lives changed. Yeah, that makes us feel awesome. But what's more important than what we feel, hey, don't forget, somebody's life was changed whether I felt good about it or not. Uh, doing, doing ministry over the years, and just any, any of us, we all go to work, we all do our thing, whatever it is, the best we can, and sometimes we just plain old don't feel like it. But it's crazy how God, I've been out praying for people, or even just, you know, not so much, I guess counseling in some degree. Um, and, and I really don't feel like it sometimes. But do it anyway, and you see someone's life really be affected by it. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter how I feel. It's the Holy Spirit just using me. 
And so that is a confirmation in itself that is disregarding uh, of what feelings might come with it. I know, I can see, I can see the fruit of it. If I see someone healed, I see them healed, I see it. I've got hard fact, objective truth. So just my, my encouragement to all of us, whether you're a beginner, <laughs> a young Christian, um, uh, been walking with the Lord for years, there is a temptation, just, you know, I don't feel God's presence, and, and I get that, and it's, that is something to pray for God. I, I want to feel God's presence all the time. I want to. Um, I've just learned that I don't always, but I'm not going to base my trust in him on that. And if, if we're in, in it for the long haul, we uh, did a wedding yesterday, and I'm sure those two, Alex and, and, and Carter, are feeling so in love today, and, um, and it's great. I love it. You know, I've been married 30, what year is it? I want to say 37. What year is it? 1981. I know that number. Okay. <laughs> I just forget what year it is. Uh, 2018. So 37 years. Um, and uh, I have those feelings. And my wife knows this. I don't feel that all the time. I physically can't. I, you just, you, you know, because it, it, you just don't. But that does never, it never did. I got, no, no, no I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> I cut up a peach on the counter last night, and I didn't wipe it down after she cleaned the kitchen. So at that moment, I was getting scolded for peach, as she called it, oh no, I'm going to have to say this, peach crap all over the counter. Um, I said, oh, peach is crap. Um, anyway, she's not feeling that, that same kind of love that Blake or uh, Carter and uh, Alex were feeling. Um, but, but there is a no doubt, no doubt in my mind, we're good. We're good. Because we made a long haul decision a long, long time ago. So I know that's silly, but I hope that's not what you come away with. Um, so let me again, like I, like I do in a classroom, just wrap this up, make sure it's solid in our heads. So we can objectively trust in a God who reveals himself through nature. We can objectively trust in a God who reveals himself in scripture. And we can objectively trust in a God who reveals himself through the Holy Spirit. And just keep that in mind. So I just also want to encourage anybody who's not feeling that right now, just be, be encouraged that God's still there. And, and, and you're going to be okay. All right, so let me pray for us all. And then uh, we'll finish with worship again. Father, I thank you so much that you do show yourself to us in so many ways. So God, if nothing else, today I pray that you would open our eyes to the way that you show us your love for us, that you did come, you did die, you rose again from the dead, and we can trust that. We can stake our lives on that. I pray your blessing over this group of people that have come together this morning to worship and to, to learn and be encouraged, and I pray that those very things have happened in this time that we've had. Thank you for this land. Oh, and I also want to pray for um, the people of, uh, just in that stretch of, of Florida and Georgia and Alabama and down through the south, and just pray for your mercy, God, over lives and property and um, just devastating, Lord. So uh, I don't know what else to ask, but in Jesus' name, we just pray for your mercy over, over our land. And just thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>